Hey, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 28. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Genesis chapter 28. We are going to conclude our series, Peace on Earth, by looking at one final Christmas message. The title of this message is A Dream Come True. A Dream Come True. Look to the person next to you and say, A Dream Come True. You you could tell them you're a dream come true. That'd be nice. A dream come true. Uh, Genesis chapter 28. We're just going to dive right on into it. Does that sound good? Are you guys with me? Are you there? Okay. We're going to begin in verse 10. This is God's word. And it says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the plates, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. Everyone say dreamed. He dreamed and behold, there was a ladder. Everyone say ladder. There was a ladder set up on the earth and the top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. Verse 17, and he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. Everyone say that with me, gate of heaven. All right, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you that you're with us. I sense your presence here this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word that says, as we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And so, Lord, we can come expectant as we open up your word and draw near to you that you are going to speak. So, Father, would you give us those expectant hearts? And Lord, I pray for those that are here the day after Christmas where maybe yesterday was a day of disappointment. Maybe it was a day of pain and, and grief for some. It was a day that was a reminder that life isn't exactly as they wish it was. Father, I pray that you would bring comfort to them this morning. I pray that they would sense your nearness and your presence. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room or watching online that does not know you, that God, this morning you would reveal yourself to them. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you grew up dreaming and were excited and expectant for Christmas morning? All right. It was so fun yesterday looking into the faces of my three-year-old and two-year-old as they wake up, woke up very, very early. It was around 5.30. You went up 5.30 with young kids yesterday? 5.30. They were so excited to see all their presents. They rushed into the living room. We actually kept them in their room, waited so we could record their little faces, and they rushed on out. And all the presents there, they're just filled with so much joy. And it reminded me of being young and being so excited and just dreaming all month for Christmas morning. And 
I had a pretty good, I would say, childhood when it came to Christmas because I have one grandpa that is a lawyer and he's very generous. And so anything I was dreaming him of all month would end up there under the Christmas tree on Christmas. And so third grade, I was dreaming about a Sector 9 cruiser skateboard. How many of you guys know what a Sector 9 cruiser skateboard is? One of those little cool cruiser boards. I was only, I was eight years old. I wanted one so bad. And sure enough, Christmas Eve came around and there it was. I was so excited to get it. I remember the next year dreaming everyone had one of the new uh, iPods, not AirPods, iPods. Remember that? I know I'm dating myself a little bit, but the iPod came out and I was just dreaming, dreaming, so excited. And sure enough, there on Christmas, my dreams came true. I got my iPod. Thank you, Big Papa. You're awesome. It's a dream. The Christmas dream. The dream of Christmas. Well, here this morning, we are going to look at a dream. And this is a powerful dream. And I believe that this dream, Scripture will show us that this dream is actually fulfilled on Christmas Day many, many years later. Now, our dreamer is Jacob. Jacob, we looked into the life of Jacob a few months ago, but if you forgot, Jacob, he is a bit of a deceiver. In fact, you can't really trust him. That's what his name means. His name means deceiver and conniver. He is the son of Isaac. To be more specific, he's the second born son. He has an older brother named Esau, and he's the grandson of Abraham. And Esau and Jacob, they were always butting heads their entire life. I don't know what your Christmas looked like, but maybe yesterday you had some family members butting heads. Well, Esau and Jacob were butting heads all throughout their life. Scripture literally records for us that Esau is a skillful hunter and was loved dearly by his dad, while Jacob lived in tents and was loved by his mom. Jacob spent his whole life living in his brother's shadow, always wanting the approval and blessing and the love of his father. And he just wasn't getting it. So finally, we actually read in scripture that the first big moment between Esau and Jacob was when Jacob deceived or connived his way into stealing the birthright from his older brother Esau. Now, the birthright was really, really important during those times. Because the firstborn would receive a double inheritance and also become the head of the family after the fathers passed away. So this belonged to Esau. But Jacob goes and he tricks him using a bowl of soup to trick him into getting the birthright. Then many, many, many years later, we find out that here, right before this incident in Genesis chapter 28, that Esau and Jacob also have a huge, huge problem. A lot of family drama going on here. What happened was Jacob went on his father Isaac's deathbed and he went to take the blessing from his father. Now the blessing's important because this blessing wasn't just any blessing. This blessing was the covenant blessing that was given by God to Abraham, extended then to Isaac, and then would be given to Esau being the firstborn son. This was a very powerful blessing. And on Isaac's deathbed, Jacob finds out by his mom that this is going to take place. And so what he does is he dresses up in Esau's clothes. He puts on fur on his hands because Scripture records Esau was a very hairy man and he goes into his father's deathbed and he tricks them into receiving this blessing and and Isaac gives this blessing to Jacob and 
By the time Esau finds out, Scripture records that Esau absolutely hates Jacob. In fact, he's determined to kill Jacob. As a result, Jacob has to flee. All right, I don't know what your Christmas looked like, but I don't know if it was that bad. Jacob had to flee a 500-mile journey. And 50 miles in, he finds himself here, literally sleeping on a rock. He's hit rock bottom. He's disappointed. He's discouraged. He has a death threat against him. He's all alone. He's fearful. He does not know what is before him. This here is Jacob. Before we continue, I can't help but pause and recognize that many of you may be in a similar spot. Christmas is not what you thought it was going to be. This season of your life is not what you thought it would be. You feel alone. You feel discouraged. You feel disappointed. You feel despondent. Maybe you're at that rock bottom moment. Well, if you are, be encouraged because you're in good company. So is Jacob. And it was at this rock bottom moment, in a moment of despondency, that Jacob is met by God. He's met by God. Here, as he's all alone, in fact, we read 50 miles into this journey, this would have been a barren land. There would have been nothing around, nothing but Jacob, some stones that he's laying on, and just the vast open skies. And as he falls asleep that night, he has this dream. Let's look at this dream. The dream he has, he dreams in verse 12, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Notice this dream of this ladder is incredible because this ladder is reaching from heaven down to earth. In fact, there might even be a footnote at the bottom of your Bible that this ladder can be better translated as a staircase. It's a literal staircase from heaven down to earth. And what he witnesses is angels first ascending and then descending upon it. He's getting an insider's look into the spiritual realm that in fact that God or the spiritual is actually interacting with the material. He's getting this inside look seeing that as these angels are ascending and descending on earth that they're actually interacting and intervening in humanity's affairs. Now, again, I don't know where you're at today, but maybe you feel, as most of us can feel many times, that God isn't intervening, that God isn't interacting, as if God isn't there. Well, that is why this dream is so critical. It's so mind-blowing. It's so beautiful because it takes behind the veil, looks behind the veil to see That in fact, heaven is intervening with earth. Here in this dream then is interrupted by a divine interruption. And it's the voice of God himself. Verse 13, read with me. It says, and behold, the Lord stood above it. Again, there might be a marker there in your Bible. Those words, the Lord stood above it, can also be translated or better translated that the Lord was beside him. Which means that this, that God, the God who created those vast galaxies that he was under, had actually descended on this staircase and was beside Jacob in his moment at rock bottom. Here is God 
beside him. Before we look into the words of God and what he says here in this divine interruption, my question to you is, what do you think God would say? Jacob's been deceiving his whole life, been doing it his own way, been doing his own thing. What would you expect God to say to someone that's at rock bottom? In fact, in moments where we hit rock bottom, what do we think God's going to do? We feel as if God's going to reprimand us. We feel as if God's going to bring judgment upon us. But that is the opposite of what God does here in the life of Jacob. Here, while Jacob is at rock bottom, he has this dream. God is speaking a divine interruption and God is speaking out three different promises. Let's look at these promises. The first one, God speaks of his provision there in verse 14. In verse 14, we read that he promises Jacob, the land on which you will lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Hey, does that promise sound familiar? It's the same promise that was given to Abraham that was given to Isaac, that Isaac then extended to Jacob, but Jacob really stole it and connived his way. But here is God actually confirming that covenant, confirming that blessing to Jacob at a moment when Jacob was all alone at rock bottom. It was a promise of provision. That as Jacob was on this 500 mile journey and only 50 miles in, that he would actually return to that land. That he would have so many offspring that they would bless all the nations of the the earth and that that land would be his land. It was a promise of provision. Certainly, Jacob didn't earn it or deserve this promise. Yet here it is, God extending this covenant to him. The second promise we see is a promise of God's protection. We see this in verse 15 when, G, when God says, I am with you. He says, I am with you to Jacob. When Jacob was all alone, when Jacob had no one there, he promises protection. In fact, he says, not only I am with you, we're going to look at that in a moment, but he says, I will keep you. I will keep you is what he says there in verse 15. I will keep you. The idea of God keeping Jacob was the idea of protection. That God was going to be Jacob's covering. Now remember, Jacob had a death threat on him. Jacob's brother wanted to kill him. Jacob was all alone. He didn't know where he was going. Yet God's promise to him was, I will keep you. It was a promise of protection. Imagine being as vulnerable as Jacob in that moment of the comfort that that would bring him. I will keep you. And then he goes on to that third one. That third one is the most beautiful one of all. Better than provision, better than protection. This is when he says there in verse 15, God says to him, I am with you. Then he goes on to say, I will never leave you. I'm going to stay with you. This is incredible. God literally descends on a staircase from heaven to earth. He's beside Jacob and he says, I am with you. I will never leave you. Imagine the comfort that that would have brought to Jacob. Now consider for a moment these promises of his provision, of his protection, of his presence. 
These promises were sheerly done on an act and a demonstration of God's grace. Jacob really didn't deserve it. He was in a place where he was literally at rock bottom. But out of the grace of God, God extends these promises to Jacob. What does this tell us about God's blessing? It tells us that God's blessing is not dependent upon us. God's blessing is not about who we are. God's blessing is about who God is. God blesses us not because we're so great. We're not. God blesses us because God's so great. This is what we're seeing here in the life of Jacob in this moment. God extending these blessings and promises to him. And Jacob's response, read with me there in verse 16. Jacob's response is he awakes from his sleep and he says, Surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, a.k.a. Bethel, and this is the gate of heaven. Jacob realizes that God was with him. And this is so shocking to Jacob because you have to understand at that time, the religious idea was that God was confined or gods, other gods, were confined to a place, to a region, to a mountain, to a city. Therefore, because Jacob had to leave his area, he had to leave his father's house and leave then, he thought, the God of his father, he thought he had been abandoned by God. Can you relate? Have you ever been in that place where you feel like God has abandoned you? Yet here he is and he realizes the main point here of Bethel is that God is reaching down to man. God is always reaching down to man and God is always with us. God isn't confined to a mountaintop experience. He's not, he's not, he's not confined to a certain area. He's not confined in our life when we're doing A, B, or C or we're doing a certain thing. No, here the reality, what Jacob realizes is that God is with him in even the most difficult and darkest of moments. God is there. So the story of Bethel, is that God is reaching down to man. He says, man, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Oftentimes, again, we can experience a similar thing. We can experience the idea that when we aren't doing well in our walk or when we are going through something difficult, that God has abandoned us. But here we see what Bethel reveals is that God is consistently reaching down to man, even when we are at rock bottom, especially when we are lonely, when we are discouraged and when we're literally surrounded by darkness, Bethel reveals God is reaching down to man. The deceiver dreams of a staircase, a ladder going from heaven to earth and God is there. But what's interesting is what Jacob says at the end of this and the end of verse 17, he says, this is the house of God. This is the gate of Heaven. Now that phrase gate of heaven, along with the imagery of the staircase, would have been familiar to those reading the book of Genesis. Because just chapters before, in Genesis chapter 11, here at Bethel actually reminds us of Babel. How many of you remember Babel? Remember the story of Babel in the Bible? 
the story of Babel in the Bible wasn't, there was actually another staircase. This staircase wasn't God's staircase going from heaven to earth. It was man's staircase going from earth to heaven. Let me read it to you here in Genesis chapter 11. When it's talking about Babel, these people came and they said, Let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. You see, the Tower of Babel was all about man's pride. It was all about man's innovation. It was all about man's best coming together and coming to build a staircase that would reach to the heavens. It was all for man's glory. But the reality that we see in the story of Tower of Babel is that man couldn't make it. They couldn't get there. They couldn't build high enough. They weren't strong enough. They weren't smart enough. They could not bring heaven down to earth. And really, that is a beautiful picture of the human condition. See, maybe you don't even believe in God, but the idea of heaven, the idea of bliss, the idea of peace, the idea of joy, the idea of comfort. Man, we strive and we strive and we strive and strive to attain for these things. But what the Tower of Babel shows us is that we can not do it. The Tower of Babel reveals to us man's attempt to reach to God, man's attempts to reach to heaven and our inability to do so. You see, the word Babel actually means gate of heaven. It was man's way of trying to create a gate to heaven. But here at Bethel, Jacob realizes, no, this is the gate of heaven. It's not man making his way up to heaven. It's actually heaven coming down to man. God has made a way when man can not do it. Notice the contrast. In Babel, it was at man's best. In Bethel, it was at man's worst. Why? Because the end of ourself is the beginning of God. The end of ourself is the beginning of God. Jacob was at the end of himself. He'd hit rock bottom. He had nothing to lose. He literally had nothing. Meanwhile, Babel, they were holding it all together. Doing it all in their own strength and on, on their own might. They did not have enough room in their hand for the blessing of God. In fact, in the Babel account, we read in Genesis chapter 11 that the Lord made his way down to the city. That he actually came down, but they were so busy and preoccupied with themselves that they missed God. God was there. They just didn't know it. Which reminds me of the fulfillment of Bethel. The fulfillment of Bethel is at Bethlehem. Remember in the little town of Bethlehem when Christ was born. And two, in that world, humanity was so busy that there was no room for Jesus in the end. But there is God in the midst among them. Yet they don't even realize it. You see, that dream there in Bethel, Jacob's dream, was a Christmas dream. It was a Christmas dream that was fulfilled in Bethlehem. Why? Because Bethlehem reveals that Jesus is God's answer. That Jesus is Jacob's dream. That the ladder or the connection from heaven to earth is found in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of Jacob's dream. It's a Christmas dream come true. There in Bethlehem. In fact, Jesus himself will identify himself as this specific ladder in Jacob's dream. He identifies himself in John chapter 1. 
to another man, a man who was also alone. He was alone under a fig tree. We don't know much about him other than that his name was Nathaniel. And Jesus meets Nathaniel. He tells Nathaniel, I know what you were thinking underneath that fig tree. In other words, he was telling Nathaniel, heaven is actually intervening in your life. I understand what you're going through, Nathaniel. I was listening. I was hearing. I know exactly what you were thinking. And then Jesus says this to Nathaniel. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Does it sound familiar? It's a direct reference to Jacob's dream. That staircase, that ladder, Jesus is the ladder in which the angels are ascending and descending upon. Jesus is the ladder. He's the connection. He's the bridge between heaven and to earth. There is no other way to God except through Jesus. Jesus is the ladder. And he is intervening in our lives even when we don't know it. Jacob didn't realize it. God was here and I didn't know it. Nathaniel didn't realize it. Yet God was intervening and interacting. God is very concerned with the human affairs of this life, of your life. God is intervening. This is what the Christmas story is all about. That God cared so much about you and about me that he was determined to divinely interrupt history by entering into the story. To live as a man, to know what it would be like to be a person to experience the struggles and the difficulty and the pain, to be alone and discouraged and despondent and to be betrayed. He knew all those things that we experience. He became a son of man so that we could become sons and daughters of God. That is what the Christmas story is all about. Jesus is the fulfillment of Jacob's dream. Jesus, or Christmas, really is this dream come true. And you know those promises that were extended to Jacob? Well, they too are fulfilled in Jesus. Remember, God promised Jacob a promise of provision. Well, Jesus promises provision to you and to me. His provision was through the cross. The ultimate way of our way to God. We have to go through the cross. Jesus was born to die that we might live. And it is through the cross that he's provided a way for us to experience the riches and the glories of heaven. He who knew no sin became sin. Our rock bottom moments, our discouraged moments, our deceiving moments. He took those upon himself and he made a way when there was no other way so that we could experience the riches and the inheritance of heaven. That fulfillment to Jacob of God's provision is fulfilled in Jesus. Now, according to Ephesians chapter one, we can experience the riches of heaven in Christ. They're available to us. How about God's promise of protection? That too is fulfilled in Jesus What does the book of Romans tell us? Because of Christ, if God is for us, who can be against us? Christ is with us. He is for us. He's protecting. He's watching over you. He's intervening and interacting in our lives. This is who he is. This is what he does. And he doesn't just do it in a moment. He continues to do it. If you look back and look into the life of Jacob there, that that was a monumental moment. But Jacob would have ups and downs, ups and downs. He'd be met by God again. God doesn't just intervene once, but he continues to us in decent. He is working in our lives. He provides protection in the promise of his presence. Well, that too is fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And because of the work of Jesus and his death and then his resurrection, we know that because of his ascension, it then... 
made available to us the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, where the continual work of Christ being with us, Emmanuel, is manifested and completed and fulfilled in the Holy Spirit's work in us. Jesus will never leave us or forsake us. He's with you. And maybe your Christmas wasn't a dream come true yesterday. Maybe it was a lot more like Jacob. Maybe it was a rock bottom moment. Maybe it was a reminder of the people that weren't there. The family members, the loved ones. Maybe it was a moment where you were even surrounded by others, but there was a pain. You felt all alone, much like Jacob. The Bible tells us that the deep longings of our soul, the deep dreams and ambitions and desires of our soul, those deep longings are actually fulfilled in Christ. For those of us that know Christ, don't know Christ, that gift of his presence is continually available to you. He's available to you. If you don't know him today, the gift of Jesus is available to you. But for those of us that do know him, his presence is there. He is with you. He promises protection. He's made provision for you. And he is intervening and interacting in our lives even when we don't see it. Church, do you believe it? We don't know what's going to happen as this, in, this year ends and the next year begins, but we know that God is with us, that he will never leave us. We know that his promises or his, his ideas for us, he desires to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think or ask. We know that he moves glory to greater glory. We know that he's intervening. You might not see it right now, but he is. That is what Jacob's dream tells us. That's what the message of Christmas shows us. God is with us. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are with us. We thank you, Lord, for your promises that you protect us, that you've made provision for us. And Father, I pray for those in this room that don't know you at all, Lord. I pray that you would make yourself known to them. Just as you did to Jacob, Lord, that you would supernaturally reach down to them. God, we know that you are always reaching down to us. That is who you are. Lord, would you reach down to them and would they respond to you? But Father, I pray for those of us that know you, that have walked with you. Would we be reminded that you don't just reach down once, but that your hand is always reaching down to us in your son. And by the power of your presence, Lord, would you give us a sensitivity to what you desire to do in our lives? Would we not have our hands too full of ourselves like those in Babel? But would we come to the end of ourselves continually, allowing you to fill us with more of you? Jesus, I pray that prayer of John the Baptist, that we would decrease, that you may increase in our lives as we step into this new year. Jesus, we praise you for your goodness. We praise you for our grace that you even reach down to us when we're at rock bottom. Man, God, you're so good. Lord, we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.